you'd like it if I just ended the service there, but uh, <clears throat> we 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 got to preach. But uh, but uh, it music is a powerful thing, isn't it? And um, the message and song is a, is a wonderful one. And may we love our Lord. He deserves he deserves our, our very best. He's a great God. We're going to assist young people for time in the Word of God. The Wiley's working with them today. So young people, you can head on out right now, if you would. And you are turning to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And... Um, We'll read from that passage in a minute or two after the last one is gone. Makes it on out. After working for about 45 years for a Fortune 500 company, there was a, a gentleman that retired. And uh, he, as he was getting ready to retire, he went into the office um, where uh, he had been making investments in a 401k. And this was a number of years ago, but he found out that uh, he had amassed over the years of those 40-some-odd years with the same company somewhere around $350,000 that he would have for retirement, which he could take as a lump sum or he could take payments. You know how uh, they have different programs and other things like that. And this company, being a large company, uh, offered a lot of things. But he chose to take a lump sum. The man and his wife were able to live very comfortably uh, with two Social Security uh, payments as well as the money that uh, he had, and it had been invested in various funds. He had a friend who um, gave him some advice one time. His friend spoke to him about a sure thing investment. You've heard of those before. And this gentleman had been very conservative in life, and we don't know exactly what had happened and what was going on, but this uh, very, very good friend spoke of the sure thing investment, and so he took some of the money he had invested and bought into the sure thing. In fact, he did something he had never done before in his life. He bought on margin. Now, I don't know if you know what that means, but when someone makes an investment, a rather sizable investment into something, sometimes they allow them as well to buy on margin, which means you don't put the money up, but it's as if you paid money into that investment. And if it would reap rewards, it'd be great. You'd get money. But if it lost, you would have to pay that money that you bought on margin because it's like borrowing, if you would, per se, borrowing to invest. Anyway, what should have been plenty of money, comfortable for retirement and a sizable inheritance, was lost because the investment, the sure thing, failed miserably, went belly up. The man not only lost a great portion of what he had financially, but he had to refinance his house to pay the debt incurred from buying on margin. Now, they were still able to live reasonably, and they were still able to make ends meet, but things became real tough. The gentleman I described to you this morning isn't the first person and won't be the last person to make foolish choices with their money. Happens all the time. People make investments, they invest in things they think are sure things, and they find out that they're not sure things. People make investments in real estate, and sometimes they think, wow, there's no way real estate could go down, and then, then there's a bust in the real estate.
estate market. Look, a lot of times people have used money for things and paid money into things thinking, hey, look, I'm going to have plenty and this is going to set me for life, only to find they made a wrong choice with their money. This morning, I want to ask you the question, will you be the next one to make a bad investment? They say, oh, not me. I'm a Baptist. I don't have any money. Because Baptists don't have any So the ones I know... And, uh, and maybe you're that way. Maybe you feel like, hey, I don't have to worry about losing investments because I don't have any money to invest. And I don't have to worry about that. But I want you to see this morning that you can indeed make bad investments or you can make good investments. And I'm talking about with the money that you have, the money that has been given to you by God. And the question I hope you will ask yourself this morning from the Word of God is, have I been making the best investments with the money that God has given me? That's the question. I hope you will see from the word of God, you can be foolish with your money, you can learn strategies, or you can gain great things. In fact, look at what God says in verse 19. Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Do you know that God gives us an investment strategy in 1 Timothy chapter 6? And in verse 19, he is coming to the conclusion of that. It's this, that his investment strategy is out of this world. And I hope you'll find that today, an investment strategy that's out of this world. Let's pray. Father, please open our eyes that we may behold the wonderful things that are found in the law of God for us today. Help us to see from your book, from your words, from your wisdom, what you have to say about the matter of money. And may our hearts be challenged today to make investments that are out of this world, investments that will last for eternity because we're listening to the God of heaven who gave us and who gives us infallible financial advice. And I'll thank you for what you'll do and how you'll help us to understand better what you want us to do, whether that's in the matter of missions, whatever, whether that's in the matter of giving, in whatever area, may we have your thinking in regard to your money. And we'll thank you for what you'll do and how you'll help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Since the beginning of the year, we've encouraged you to have EVS, and that's not a disease. It's the eternal value system that God wants every Christian to have, a focus on eternity that affects your life today. Our verses for last month were based on Matthew chapter 6 that encouraged us not to live for today, but to live for the kingdom of heaven and to focus on that and to live for eternal things. And we've been asking the question as we began our missions month a couple weeks ago, uh, or at least I've been asking God the question, what does an eternal value system have to do with missions? And we learned from 2 Peter chapter 2, the verses we're memorizing this month, we were challenged about the fact that an eternal value system cares about souls and is interested in being a witness for Jesus Christ, as we were challenged about once again this morning for Romans 10, which you get challenged about every missions month, every year, I know. But yet, that's an important thing. Last week, we had opportunity to go to the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 20 and see that an eternal value system 
causes us to realize there is a heaven, there is a hell, there is an eternity, and be concerned for lost ones. Today, the challenge is from 1 Timothy chapter 6 to see God's investment strategy for missions, to see that God does have indeed an eternal investment strategy that he wants you to have in regard to your money. Actually, not your money, his money. Do you know that God is indeed talking about financial advice when he talks about this return for in eternity? Notice again verse 19, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. By the way, I will say this, no one ever gains heaven by what they give. No one ever gains heaven by what they do. No one gains heaven by any activity that we can personally do because you're not saved by what you do. You're saved by grace through faith. When Paul talks about and when Paul writes to Timothy and shares with him some important truths to share with God's people, in fact, something we heard recently in Sunday school, I know, in the, in the book of, of Timothy, 1 Timothy, as we just finished up the book. But when God speaks to Timothy and gives him instruction, he says, look, there's some things that people need to know about the time to come. And what he's talking about when he says laying hold on eternal life, it would be uh, entering heaven, if you would, uh, successfully and finding the reward and blessing that comes in eternal life as you live for God today. And so he shares very important truths, and he's going to deal with this matter of money in these verses. And in order to understand verse 19, we've got to understand the verses that lead up to it because they are all tied to it. And so this morning, I want you to see the first truth we find in Scripture, the call. The call regarding, yes, money. Now, before you think and before you say, you're a guest with us today, you know, preachers, that's all they ever preach on. Uh, the last time I preached on money, as best I know how, well, was last year before Missions Month or during Missions Month, because we usually hit on the subject at least sometimes we talk about and encourage people to give to the matter of missions. So if you think I preach on it every Sunday, um, that means you haven't been here for a year. <laughs> Shame on you. <laughs> all right. So get your heart right and get back to church sooner than that. All right. Truth is, don't preach on it a lot. But it needs to be preached on because it's talked about in Scripture. And God is the one who has provided financially for people. And God is the one who has the wisdom and guidance to help us know what we ought to do with finances. So this morning, uh, um, you know, because uh, preachers always give an apology when they preach on, on giving. So here's my apology. Here it is. It's done now. I won't say anything more about it. I'm not apologizing, though, for what God said. I'm going to share with you what God has told you in his word, and I hope it will guide your life. This morning, I want you to see first the call regarding money. What you do with money has bearing on the future. Do you realize that? What you do with money has bearing on the future. Hey, say, Pastor, prove that. Okay. I want you to look at the end of verse 19, and what do you see at the end right after the word life? <laughs> this isn't a trick question. What do you see? You see a period. Very good. Thank you. This is English class this morning. Uh, so, <laughs> no, it is an English class this morning because I'll be in trouble if it is. But it ends with a period. All right, then I want you to go backward, and I want you to tell me where the sentence starts. Look, it's just here this morning. So I want you to look and tell me where the, the sentence starts. That's right. 
The sentence starts in verse 17. What is being taught in verse 19 when he talks about laying hold and storing up something for eternity starts not in verse 19. It starts in verse 17. And do you know, in reality, if we're going to be honest about the matter, is what verse 19 is dealing with specifically talks about and only deals with the matter of money. God tells you that what you do with money has bearing on the future. God is giving financial strategy here. In verse 19, he says, look, you want to lay up in store for yourselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold. He's talking about people in the church. They may lay hold on eternal life that they might enter, that they might enjoy all the blessings that come in eternity. And if you're going to do that, you've got to understand that what you do with money has bearing on the future. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, which giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. And then he goes into laying up in store. And so the call regarding money is this. What you do with money has bearing on your future. It always does. Laying up for eternity is connected exclusively here to money. Now, I will say this. Other scriptures tell us a lot about laying up for eternity, and they're not necessarily dealing with money. But it is interesting that if you go back to Matthew 6, where God talks about seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you know where it all starts with? Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And he talks about God and mammon in that passage. It says you can't serve both. Do you realize that God often makes a connection with eternal reward and money? And he does so in this passage. And he says this, that what you're doing today, and the call is this, what you do with money has bearing on your future. Um, By the way, uh, we know that from a practical standpoint in life, don't we? After graduating from college, going first ministry, I was involved in in Indiana, um, it was amazing how many times I got calls from people that were really concerned about me. They really concerned about me. First of all, there were a bunch of people that wanted to give me money. You know, um, you, you get those letters all the time in the mail, don't you? You know, we can give you a loan for such and such money. People just love me. They wanted to give me money all the time. The other thing, until I wanted to buy a, a house that needed to be fixed up. Then I couldn't find anyone to give me money. That's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. And when they found out what I was making, too. Uh, so that was, that was another issue. But I found, and then there was something else. I got, I got all sorts of contacts from people that were interested in my money. It's an amazing thing. And they told me that if I would listen to them and do what they tell me with my money, that I would have a lot of money for retirement. Financial investors. Financial advisors, I'm sorry, who would tell you that this is you need to prepare for retirement now. I got to tell you something. Uh, I understand that a lot better now. But somehow, when you're 22 years old, you don't think about that all that much, isn't that? Isn't that true? It's really hard to save money when you're 22, thinking about when you're going to be, you know, 70 years of age. Uh, and I'm not there yet. Okay. <laughs> Still got a long time to go as far as I'm concerned. Some of you think not long, but I do have a long time to go before I get to retirement age. But, you know, it's hard to think about those kind of things. But you know, they were right. It was important to think about that. Because what I did and what I was doing from age 22 up till this point has a bearing 
on retirement. Do you know that? Okay, so we understand that in the, in the real world. Financial advisors tell us that all the time. God says the same thing. But God says what you're doing financially today has bearing on eternity, not just this life. So that makes what you do with money very important. Do you agree? If what you do with money has bearing on eternity, then you better be concerned what you do with money. What you do are doing with money, what you do with money, has bearing on your future. So a wise person lays up for eternity. Do you see that in verse 19? Look, he's telling, this is what you need to do so that you can lay up in store for yourselves a good foundation against the time to come. The time when you stand before God and you give account for what you've done with the money you have. You need to be ready for that day. So lay up in store now. And what you're doing now will have bearing. So lay up for eternity. We're going to see from this scripture how to do that. But the call is, what you do with money has bearing on the future, and a wise person lays up for eternity. Can I tell you something? As a pastor, I've been involved in the ministry enough years now to have heard this a number of times. Pastor, we'd like to give to the church for missions, for building fund, for whatever is going on. Uh, we cannot afford to give. Um, I know many pastors who have heard that line before. And you know any wise pastor that knows what's found in Scripture will say something like, you can't afford not to give to God. And that's very true. But do you realize that this passage actually states that? That you can't afford not to give. Because in not giving, that's what he's going to be teaching. Not giving, you're robbing yourself. In eternity. And that is one scary thought. Eternal rewards are effective what you do with money. And no wonder God calls upon you to give for needs like missions. For the cause of Christ. For meeting the needs of the poor. For doing the things that the scriptures talk about. So God gives sound biblical advice based on this principle. In fact, let me just give you it. The question about mission giving next week is not, can I give? The question is, as I said earlier, how much can I give? Or, if you're already involved in giving, what more can I do? Because in these verses, God says what you're doing with money today is laying up in store for eternity. And you better be doing that. Because there comes a day when you will give account for what you've done with money. Because the sentence starts in verse 17, where God deals with the subject of money. So then that's the call. Now I want you to see from the scripture the consideration. The discussion of money doesn't start in verse 17, though. Go back, if you would, in this uh, chapter, all the way to verse 6, where God says, God, but godliness with contentment, great gain. And he's going to be talking about money, the verses starting in verse 6, all the way through to verse 19. So he's not going to leave the subject. Well, he se seems to leave the subject for, the, for a little while, but 
He's going to get to the subject. He's going to deal with the subject. He's going to come back to the subject in verses 17 to 19. And he's going to share with us some truths we need to know. And if we're going to understand properly what we need to about money today, then here's the consideration. Do you know you can have gain without money? Do you know you can have gain without money? Some people think, if I just had a little bit more, read uh, someone who made this observation. Here's what he wrote. He said, I used to keep thinking that I'd be happy when I got one more degree or when I got a particular job or when I got financial security. But every time I reached a goal, I was disappointed. The victory was empty. And finally, I realized that I would never hit some plateau of happiness in the world. In fact, I won't ever have a day of unmitigated happiness. It seems to come in bits and pieces. He said, I never have a day, I, or says, I never have a day, though, when God doesn't offer me moments of reward and fulfillment and happiness, and my task is to savor those as they come. He said, well, what was he talking about? Well, he's talking about being satisfied or having gain without money. Do you know how you can have gain without money, according to this passage? But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. You know, God says that living a godly life and learning contentment, which Paul had to learn, by the way, in Philippians chapter 4, you can find that. And learning contentment is a way to find yourself very wealthy if you don't have money. Isn't that amazing? Do you know why? Because when you learn contentment, this is profound. You're content. You have enough. You're satisfied. You can look all around you. We live in the wealthiest county in Tennessee, I believe without a doubt, and they say one of the wealthiest counties in the United States, Williamson. But we have people all around us that are very unhappy. Do you know how many times people move in this area to get a bigger house, a better house? And they have one kid, but they, they buy a house that has like eight rooms in it, eight bedrooms. It's like, why do you need that? Status? Let me tell you why. They're not content. Not happy with what they have. And God says... That a Christian can learn to have gain without gain. That you can learn to be happy with the paycheck you have if you'll learn contentment and you'll seek to live a godly life. Because godliness and contentment are great gain. Because someone doesn't need more when they have enough. And as I walk, learn to walk with God... And as I learned then to be content with what God gives me, I will find, seriously, that if I get a raise, wonderful. If I don't, no problem. I have enough. And that's why he says, having food and raiment, let us be there with content. You do realize in America, our standard of contentment. Do you realize in Washington the standard of contentment is not having food and raiment? It's far, 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 far more than that. You do understand that, don't you? Our standard is nice car, uh, ni nice house, um, in a good neighborhood, 
uh, your food in the pantry, not just enough for today. Our standard is far more than what God said we need. And the consideration then is you can have gain without money if you'll just learn to be content. But let me also share another truth we find in those verses we just read. You can have money without gain. Verse 7 teaches amazing truth. For we, And I know you can't understand this one. This is hard to grasp too. For we brought nothing into this world. And here it is. And it's certain we can carry nothing out. You can ask your mom. But you didn't come in with anything. And, and when, when you leave, they say it. They, you hear the saying all the time, right? You can't take it with you. We know that to be true, but people still live to amass their entire lives. And the truth is you can't take it with you. Well, you can. But you can't. You say, wow, now you're really confusing me. You can't take anything monetarily, physically with you into eternity, but you can take rewards into eternity if verse 19 is true. With what you do, with money. So God tells you to consider this fact that you don't have to have a lot of money to have gain. You just have to learn godliness and contentment, which, quite honestly, Christians need to learn, or Timothy wouldn't have been told, this is what you teach the people at your church. Then he taught another truth. We came into this world with nothing, and it's certain we're going to leave without anything. So understand this. You can have money without gain if you live just for things. If you live just for things. If you store up treasures on earth... You won't have anything in heaven, but if you store up treasures in heaven and you can do that, then you'll have everything. Sound biblical advice is being reminded, I'm wealthy when I'm content and poor when I have plenty and focus on the here and now. This is a pretty searching passage, isn't it? Let me share with you the concern he gives us. In verses 9 and 10, he says, But they that rich temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition for the love of money is the root of all evil which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows but thou O man of God flee these things don't don't think that what follows in verse 11 to 13 doesn't apply to money There's an application made here. And he says the concern is don't long for riches. Don't live for riches. Don't make riches your focus. Do you know that there are a lot of Christians, here's what he said, a lot of Christians in the church have made money their focus and they've erred from the faith. What does that mean? There were people that left their Christian faith because they loved money. Because money was the focus of their life. Because money became central, and money was more important than serving God. And they made a great error in their faith, and they forsook God. Don't be fooled. A lot of people are fooled by money. And i, I got to tell you, we, and especially in our community and, and in my own personal life, you have to watch out. 
that you don't get centered on money and having more, that you would long for riches is a danger that we all face. A Sunday school class was teaching on the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. And the teacher spoke about what was going on in the wilderness. And then he asked this question to his class. He says, how are we tempted today? Good question. And a young salesman spoke up in the class. And he said this, temptation is when your boss calls you in, as mine did yesterday, and said, I'm going to give you a real opportunity. I'm going to give you a bigger sales territory. We believe you're going places young man, um, and we want to do this for you. And the young salesman said, I don't want a bigger sales territory. I'm already away from home about four nights a week. It wouldn't be fair to my wife and daughter. His boss, who claimed to be a Christian, looked at him and said, we're asking you to do this for your wife and daughter. Don't you want to be a good father? It takes money to support a family these days. Sure, your little girl doesn't take much money now, but think of the future. Think of her future. I'm only asking you to do this for them. The young man told the class, that's temptation. It is. It is. Where can I get more money? How can I get more? That's the temptation. The love of money, the desire for more, a life centered on getting rather than Giving is indeed a temptation in life. And he says, they that will be rich. How many times have you heard Christians say this? Well, just give me a million dollars. I'll see if I can be content. Have you, you ever heard someone say that? Sometimes, just kiddingly, people will say that. But do you know sometimes that goes to a mentality that says, if I had more, I'd be happy. And that's dangerous. Truth is, if you get more, you'll find more to spend it on. And after a while, what, was, what, what made you happy, you'll say, well, if I just got a little bit more, then I'd be able to take care of this. And it is amazing how as pay increases, your needs seem to increase. You don't believe that to be true. I, 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 I found it true in my life. It's an amazing thing how you can make it. I think about how, how much we were paid in our first ministry. The pastor was embarrassed when he told me what I was going to be making in first ministry right out of college as an assistant pastor in a, in a church of about 200 people. And, um, and it really was barely enough to scrape by. But, but do you know what, what's amazing? We're making a lot more than we made in that day. And yet, it's easy to think wow, things are going to be tight. What? Are you kidding me? Things were tight then. Um, but it is an amazing thing how when you have more, it doesn't satisfy. And so he says, they that will be rich, those who would just say, well, if you just give me that million dollars, I'll then you fall into a temptation and a snare and into foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Because, because what it d develops is a love of money, and that love of money becomes the root of evil. And you know, there are, there are Christian men who have forsaken their family because they're trying to make money for their family, like that young man talked about. 
There, there are women that have forsaken family for a career. And it may not be this. It may be that there is something God wants for them, but it could very well be that they've just come to the place where they love money. And it's become a root that has grown up and ruined a life. The concern is that you'd long for riches, that you end up loving riches, and it ruin you rather than seeing riches for what they are. So, in verse 11 and on through verse 19, we have the charge. You say, the charge? Wait a second, Pastor, the charge is in verse 17. You're right. Charge them that are rich in this world. But go back if you would. Verse 13. Because there are two charges in this passage. He says, I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things. So he says, I'm going to give you a command. And he's dealing with the subject of money. Don't forget that in this passage. And he shares uh, actually two charges. First is, choose godliness over money every time. If it's a choice between church or making more money, be in church. That's not my idea. But I got to have more. But I got to. But we got to have this. And we need this. And man, we got kids and we got college coming up. I know it's like a long way off, but college costs so much money. And God says. Hey, choose godliness over money. Run from a money-centered life to a God-centered life where holiness thrives. That's the first charge of this passage. Is it going to be money or God? You can't serve God and mammon. Do you hear Matthew 6 in this passage? I do. So he says, man of God, flee these things. Follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good of fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. But if you get focused on money, you won't do that. Because you can't serve God. And, um, and it's, it's a hard, hard truth to learn. But it's important. So choose godliness over money. And then verse 17 and 18, the second charge is use money for godly causes. Look, those who have money ought use it for that which lasts eternal, eternally. Money is not to get more. Money is to give more. That's the principle of this passage. If God's given you a lot, then you have more opportunity to give. That's the point of verse 17 and 18. So those that are rich, tell them, learn to give. Man, look for opportunities and focus on giving because you have so much. Give. That's the mentality. That's the focus. That's the attitude that God wants me to have. So choose godliness over money first and then use money for godly causes when you have it. Imagine a man coming home from work after an evaluation saying to his wife, I got a raise today. I have $400 more a month coming in. And his wife, before anything else is said, says, that means we can give more to missions this year. He 
You think that happens in any places? Should. I would suspect, if honest, most would say that the increase leads the couple to think about how they're going to divide the increase to meet needs. And then, after that, how much more they might give with what's left over. When in reality, if we have God's perspective on, on money, it would be this. Yes, there are needs. But now I'll be able to give more. So how would God have me first divide up what's come in in a way that would please him? So I'm going to contribute. And I'm going to look for opportunities to do more. Um, that is that is God's attitude toward investment strategies. You use money for godly causes. So, verse 17 again, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in riches, but in the living God which giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Choose God, uh, choose, use money for godly causes. But in verse 17, he shares something else. I want you to see the contributor. Um, it's a truth that I think many misunderstand, and actually you can miss in this verse. But notice, again, what he says. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, which is wise. Because you never know what's going to happen with money. I mean, today, yeah, money can buy a lot of things. Not around this area, but money can buy a lot of things in other places. You know that anyway, if you live in this area. But we're to trust in the living God. You know why? Because uh, that's not uncertain. He's not uncertain. But notice what he says at verse 17 that is sometimes missed by many. Read that last phrase. Join with me at the word who. You, you there? All right, join with me. Who giveth us richly all things to enjoy? How much of your money is yours? It's not a trick question. How much of your money is yours? Okay. Everything you have has been given by God richly to you to enjoy. You realize that? Yes, yes. What you get paid at your job is God giving you richly what he's given. The contributor is God. Some people look at what they have coming in and they say something like this. This is my money. Don't tell me what to do with it. That's, those are ones that get mad at the preacher who preaches on money. There's a second group of people. And others look at it and they say, well, God gets 10% or 15%. The rest is mine to spend. And I want you to know, I'm honest about this, neither is correct. Neither is correct. Now, the second one's better than the first. But it's not correct. According to this verse and according to many other scriptures, in fact, David references this I mean, thousands of years before the New Testament was written, David said the fact that everything we have is God's. Everything. Our house, our vehicle, our vehicles, our possessions, the money we make, the things that come in, the financial windfall, everything is God's perspective on money starts with the fact that everything I have is God's and how I spend it is important to him. 
Yes, 100% of it concerns him. Not just 90 or 10% or 15% or whatever. God freely contributes to you so you might have plenty, and in doing so, get this. This is an amazing thing. He gives you the opportunity to give some of it back to his causes. And what's amazing about that, according to verse 19, is that he rewards you for it. Think about this. Think about think about um, Brother Day being Mr. Mr. Day is so rich. So Mr. Day gives uh, uh, Brother Flynn a hundred thousand dollars just because he likes Brother Brother Flynn. All right, gives him a hundred thousand dollars and then says this: Look, uh, for for tax purposes, I don't know whatever Brother Day says for tax purposes, uh, Steele, I, I need you to to just give me uh, you know to give me fifteen thousand back. Okay, seriously, would would you have any problem with that, Brother Flynn? You, I mean, if you did, there'd be really something something wrong with you, wouldn't, wouldn't there? Seriously, and I don't think there would be. And the reason why is because none of it was yours in the first place. It was all given to you by Brother Day, and I mean. But 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 think about this. Think about Brother Day saying, "Okay, I need you to need to give me um, fifteen thousand, fifteen thousand back." And then he turns around and he gives you five thousand of that back again. He says, hey, "Hey, this is just this is just a gift to say thanks for for not being selfish with the money I gave you." That'd be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? Say, what's wrong with Brother Day? Say, I want to talk to this guy. I want to be I want to be my friend. You know. Um, but, but the truth of the matter doesn't even make sense, does it? But what God shares in this passage is this. It's all mine. I've given it to you richly because I'm a good God and because I love you. I've given you richly everything you have to enjoy. And you can and you ought give according to what I've laid out in Scripture, God says. And if you will give in that way, get this, I will give back. Because that's the kind of God I am. And you know what the scriptures tell us? The scriptures tell us that God gives us today. Because men will give into our bosom. Luke chapter 6 talks about this. So men will give to us today if we learn to give freely of what God has already given to us. And then in the future, in eternity, God gives again. That's an amazing thing. So God says, if you'll understand what I teach you in the Bible in regard to your wallet, if you understand finances according to my perspective, it's all mine. You can't take it, you can't take it with you. Stop living for it. It's all mine. Take what I've given and learn to be a giver. And in doing so, I will reward you today. I'll reward you tomorrow if you'll believe what I say about money. Now, you, you, won't, you won't hear that from many people, but that's what God says. Uh, I would plead with you this week to think about missions giving and commitment Sunday, next Sunday, in light of 1 Timothy 6. Not in light of what you have conceived, but in light of 1 Timothy 6. And ask yourself the question... Not can I give, 
But how much can I give of what God has already given me so that I can experience the blessing of God giving me more so that I might give more? That God might give me more so I might give more, so that God might give me more, that I might give, give more, so that in the future I'll be ready for the day when I'll stand before my Lord and give account for the 100% that God gave me throughout my life, every penny. That's God's perspective. It's not mine. Not the preacher's idea. Um, it's God's perspective. And it's an important one. Because most people don't understand what God thinks about money. And we need to. The question is not, can I give? Can I afford to give? The question is, what should I give? Or, if you're already doing so, how much more can I give? Because the truth of Scripture is, you can't outgive God. You can't. Because He gives today and He gives tomorrow when you just learn to trust him by faith and give what he's already given you. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.